Good Tuesday afternoon, guys. My name is Jerry Miller, and this the I Love Seville Show. Thank you kindly for joining. It's a pleasure to connect with you through the I Love Seville Network, a show today that's presented by the Clifton in Keswick. Memorable dining experience, fantastic happy hour, date night perfect for Valentine's Day, hotel lodging of extraordinary, extraordinary talents and proportions, and the staff is absolutely phenomenal. The Clifton is making memories in Keswick, Virginia, a partner of this fine and fair talk show. I encourage everyone watching the show to take a look at the screen now, read the headlines, and get a feel for what we're talking about. For those of you that are listening to the program via Bluetooth, on uh, Spotify, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, LinkedIn, Instagram, the Fountain app, 15 Facebook pages, 15 Twitter accounts, here's a snapshot of what we'll talk about today. We will follow up our discussion yesterday on hybrid work and how it could be impacting foot traffic around Charlottesville, Virginia, from a dining, experience, shopping, and drinking standpoint. We also have a little bit of clarity on the Paul Manning Biotech Institute with the University of Virginia now releasing details of what to expect. We'll chitter-chatter the city manager search here in Charlottesville. You're not going to believe this. You probably will actually believe this. Charlottesville City Hall is going to hire a consulting firm to help them find the next city manager. Currently, the Charlottesville City Manager is being filled the position by a consulting firm. Yes, the Robert Bob Group, a consulting firm, is the interim city manager. Now, Charlottesville City is using taxpayer dollars to hire another consulting firm to find a permanent city manager. I'm having a really hard time with this, Judah. I just help me navigate this. Why don't we go straight to the two shot, then we can go back to the one shot. So J-Dub, the director of this fine and fair talk show, a man of reason who is uh, respected up and down the eastern seaboard by our viewers and listeners. We have a consulting firm that is the interim city manager, the Robert Pop Group. While a consulting firm is the city manager, the city is hiring another consulting firm to find a permanent city manager. Can you help like, me navigate this, please? I feel, I feel like we're on an episode of Punked. This is like Seinfeld. Are we being punked? I think we're being punked. Like, they, it's like they try to, keep, they try to make the, the firm name as close to, to uh, what is it, uh, uh, Bob Bobla? Bob Blabla? The Robert Pop Group? Yeah. You're saying that? Yeah. What's, what's the, the nickname... You know, you know what you know what Bob Lobla is, right? Tell me what Bob Lobla is. I believe it's a character from uh, from Arrested Development, Bob Lobla. Oh, but obviously, if you put the name together, it sounds absurd. Kind of like the Robert Bob Group. What is the nickname for Robert? Bob. Oh, get out of town! It's Bob. So we get the Bob Bob Group as a consulting firm that's acting as the city manager. The Bob Lobb Group. And you said that they're hiring another consulting firm oh, to yeah. look for oh, yeah. their replacement? Oh, yeah. Another consulting firm to find the city manager while the Bob Bob group is the acting city manager. You can't make this stuff, you can't make this stuff up, folks. I mean... You can't make this up. Should we be... Only in Charlottesville. Well, should we, should, should we be impressed that they're not hiring themselves? Oh, you're saying... Are we, are we surprised that the Bob Bob group didn't 
Because the Bob Bob group is calling the shots. Why didn't the Bob Bob group hire themselves to replace themselves? Yeah, they could make a little extra money. I mean, that seems like a little nepotistic, a little conflict of interest. If the Bob Bob group hires itself to replace itself? They clearly haven't been doing the job. I feel like this is an episode of Seinfeld. Yeah, well, maybe they, maybe, maybe the other group they're hiring are friends of theirs, and so they're just kind of spreading Charlottesville's cash around. Explain how you feel, viewers and listeners, that taxpayer dollars are going to be utilized to hire a third party to find a permanent city manager while we already have a third party in place as the acting city manager. You the, cannot make this up. And, and that acting third party should be... I would think finding their own replacement. I, I mean, just don't think the Bob Bob group wanted to do it. Yeah, or maybe they're not. You know, maybe they're not headhunters. Maybe they're. Maybe they. Uh, it's it's that. Maybe That's they specialize in uh, filling the gap. That's what it is. They okay. specialize in being the hired mercenary. That's that's a fair, I guess. Yeah, they specialize. Still, it's concerning. Yeah. We'll talk about that on the show. If you want to go back to a one shot, then we'll weave you back in. Other headlines we'll talk about today. Um, a shooting outside a chain seafood restaurant on a Sunday evening at 11.30 p.m. Is the shrimp po' boy sandwich that good? Is the pasta alfredo with the side of shrimp skewer that good? That there was a rush to sit down and eat the food at Red Crab Seafood that a woman got popped by a bullet at 11.30 p.m. on a Sunday evening? Are we at the point now where we cannot go to the Red Crab Seafood Restaurant for fear of gunfire? Almore County Police active investigation asking the community for help. We will let you know the scuttlebutt we're hearing after hours of what's happening at Red Crab Seafood on Route 29 today on this fair and fine talk show. Hunter Smith has been in the news for what, months now? He's the owner of Champion Brewing Company and Champion Hospitality. One of the many brands that he is a part of um, are in peril. They are not financially solvent. And now Brews on High has officially closed and the social media channels have been eviscerated and evaporated. Brews on High never had a chance to take off with the construction that was going on High Street. Never really seemed to have consistent hours. The concept of the business, no one really knew. Was it a brew through to buy booze? Was it a coffee shop? What was going on there? It was a former bank location on High Street. It's officially closed. We'll give you some ideas of what should replace it. And speaking of closings, the Spice Diva is is shutting its doors. Um, The Spice Diva has been a fixture on West Main Street for a decade plus, Phyllis Hunter, the proprietor, she went from a little cubby in uh, the Market Street shops to taking a larger location as her business grew. And she's now officially closing her doors on the 28th of February. It was a charming shop, a quaint shop. But in a time of economic difficulty, in a post-COVID, post-pandemic climate, she faced tremendous headwinds like many retail outlets have. She was hesitant to bring live events back to the Spice Diva 
because of COVID. They certainly took a back seat during the pandemic. And frankly speaking, inflation, the CPI number, which we'll talk about with Alex Erpe, just came in hot, hotter than expected. Market's a little volatile today because of it. Folks are counting their pennies. And perhaps buying premium spices does not fit in Central Virginians' budgets. We'll talk about what should replace the Spice Diva on today's fine and fair talk show. And we'll highlight again more businesses on the near horizon. And we will let you hear it from the business instead of from me. But in the very near future, an extremely iconic business we will let you know is for sale in the city of Charlottesville. One that will surprise you. I want to follow up yesterday's conversation. I thought Judah Wickhauer was very much on point yesterday, doing a job well done. In fact, Lisa Custolo even gave you some props. Workers in Manhattan are spending about 30% less time in the office because of hybrid work. And as a result of that hybrid work, the dining and the entertainment and the drinking and the food around office hubs in the Big Apple are down. <laughs> the average Manhattanite spending nearly $4,700 less per person. Two-shot Judah Wickhauer. Oh, he's ready to jump in. I like it. Show is yours, Judah Wickhauer. I think I, read that, I think I read that article last night, and it is misleading because, yes, that money is not going to the... Comments are coming in quickly. Go ahead. They're not going to the, to the city areas where those workers normally, uh, were normally uh, traveling to. Uh, and... To, and to add to uh, to areas that are that are losing money is the transportation business. They're wondering, you know, what to do about uh, you know about the the subway lines and things like that when they have less people using it. Uh, and of course, paying the subway brings in money to the city. Um, food taxes uh, brings in money to the city. Property taxes from from businesses <clears throat> running uh, running food and whatever other uh, uh, businesses around around the offices that are getting less and less, and including the offices themselves. Uh, there are less, you know, all these all these property owners, all these uh, landlords um, are losing money on offices that are getting less use. Uh, then you've got uh, you've got places like um, uh, like business centers and restaurants that that host things like uh, you know work meetings and uh, and they're getting less money. The thing is, it's not that that money is just disappearing. And part of what part of what is uh, part of what they mention ever so briefly in the article is that. The businesses around the neighborhoods where these people live are upticking. So that money is going somewhere. Not only that, but the people that, uh, the people that are staying home and working from home, they're saving money. Not only are they saving money, a lot of them are eating better. There are, you know, some of those people are no longer, you know, stopping at fast food places I'll, on, I'll on their lunch here. break. I'll jump in here. I'll jump in here. Um, good feedback from you. Good analysis. I thought you were really on point yesterday. Um, I don't think the average American is saving a lot of money right now. 
they're not saving a lot of money, but they're but that four thousand whatever that they're not being spending shifted. Exactly. It's being shifted. And some of that That's a key word. And some of it is being shifted into their bank accounts. Yeah. Being shifted. And I'll or at give least you not I'll, leaving it. I'll, I'll I'll give you that some of it is being sh- that the money's being shifted. Yeah. I mean I didn't We know that pl- American credit card debt is at an all time high right now. That's a fact. Yeah. We know that I talked about this with my wife last night. My wife, 12 years in Manhattan, worked for the hedge fund Blackstone before I met her. Somehow was able to persuade her to come down here. Met her on an airplane. You were there while we were servicing our clients in New Jersey, Mm. flying home. You saw us meet. She quit a job with a lot of vertical trajectory to come down here to Charlottesville because we fell in love. Lived on the Upper East Side. She listened to the show. She made some points yesterday that the after hours um, team bonding events her group would have at bars after grinding at Blackstone, they were often the tab was picked up by her boss, either in totality or a portion of the tab. Okay. They'd work their tails off. The team would go to a local bar that was close to where Blackstone was located, and they'd blow off some steam after a stressful day. They did this for team bonding, and they also did it because it was hard work. They wanted to clear their mind. Anonymous, who's watching this program, said this, and then you jump in. One thing I can tell you about New York City entertainment spending When I ran my firm's New York office years ago, he works in finance as well. Anonymous said, I pay to take people out to drinks or activities after work a few times per month. People may have more time for fun without a commute, which was the point you made, but the firm is not paying for those activities if people are not at the office. Yeah. And instead they're at their house. Right. He also makes sense. Instead, they're spending their money all over the tri-state area, which is the point we made yesterday. The money's going to neighborhoods. Yeah. Neighborhood spending as opposed to the spending around office epicenters. Mm-hmm. Okay. So here's a perfect segue to this. And viewers and listeners, jump in and help us with this discussion. Currently, the city of Charlottesville... And I'm going to read from the Daily Progress. I want to give props to the Daily Progress. We oftentimes hold the Daily Progress accountable for not publishing a lot of fresh copy. Over the last 60 days, 90 days, the Daily Progress has really been churning quality copy. So props to the Daily Progress for churning some great content of late. Here's five paragraphs from the Daily Progress in a Staff Reports article that I'll relay to you. The Charlottesville Economic Development Authority is scheduled to hold a meeting today. The authority plans to discuss an economic impact study on the Ting Pavilion, the concert hall, the venue right here on the mall, the lease at the S&P Global Building, right over here, the lease on the S&P Global Building, and updates on the city's economic development strategic plan. 
The meeting starts at 4 o'clock today in City Council Chambers at City Hall. The Charlottesville Economic Development Authority is a seven-member body that meets monthly to promote business development around the city of Charlottesville. The group has the authority to raise bonds to support projects approved by City Council. So here's what I was hoping to do before we go to the next topic. I thought you were very succinct yesterday. And what you explained yesterday is the $12 billion remote workers, according to Bloomberg News, remote work is costing Manhattan $12 billion per year. That was the Bloomberg headline. Right. Workers are spending, according to Bloomberg, 30% less time in the office, which has cut their annual near-the-office spend. Near-the-office is the key phrase. Right. Near-the-office spend on food, entertainment, and booze by 4700 per person. Yeah. Judah made the argument, which I thought was very convincing, that that money, while not in totality, is just being shifted from near the office to neighborhood restaurants and bars. Yeah. thought it was a very compelling point. The- I'm going to counter that for the sake of a talk show. And then I want to jump, I want to include you. Because you also had some ideas of what is also impacting spending locally in Charlottesville and in a market as large as Manhattan as well. I'm going to counter that by saying this. The density of restaurants, of bars, of shopping locations, that density is much greater around an office hub Mm-hmm. like the downtown mall. While those dollars may be shifting to neighborhood businesses, businesses associated to people's respective neighborhoods, that density of those type of businesses is not nearly as robust or voluminous as a hub like downtown. Voluminous, yeah. Or a hub <laughs> like the University of Virginia. So while some of those dollars are being shifted, undoubtedly, they're not being spent at the same clip, clip, okay, or sprinkled out amongst various businesses. Could be concentrated <coughs> amongst a few businesses. And the sprinkling of those dollars across various businesses helps those businesses withstand and stay alive. If those dollars are being concentrated amongst just a few neighborhood businesses, that would lead to more small business attrition, a.k.a. closings. Right. We, I think we have an underlying problem that uh, is very new because I think part of the issue is that nobody wanted to, n- nobody wanted to, to commute. Nobody wanted to make a half an hour, 45-minute hour trip into a city and work and spend money at some, you know, whether it's a bagel stand or a fast Coffee food shop, place whatever it is. or whatever. Yeah. They didn't want to spend all their money on expensive stuff, but what are you going to do? I mean, you, you can brown bag your lunch. Yes, you can brag, brown bag your lunch. I bring lunch often to work. Yes. They could do that. They I could. I understand that doesn't happen. But that, would, but that would cause the exact same problem. That would cause neighborhood spending. That would be neighborhood spending. Yeah, that would cause a drop in, in spending. Office, uh, business spending around offices. Yeah. 
So it would have the same effect. The problem is that nobody wanted to do that. Nobody wants to leave their, the comfort of their home and go to some stuffy office and have to interact with people they don't really like. And yes, they get to go and drink on the company's dime, but do you really think that that is what they want to do? I mean, or I, is that more expected and they do it because it's expected and they do it because they think it might be part of the ladder up to a higher I position? I think there's certainly that. So I think it's certainly that. And you saw that with Silverchair. When Silverchair was working downtown in the old um, hardware store building. You'd see everybody walking together. Where, um, what was the clothing store that was there? Yeah, uh, out, Outback Outfitters, something Outfitters. Yeah, <laughs> you can tell we don't do a lot of shopping. There was a clothing store there, a chain clothing store, right? Yeah. What was it called? Viewers and listeners, okay? But urban, we, urban Outfitters. Urban Outfitters, there you go. Well done, Judas. Well done, J-Dubs. Well done, Judy B. Woodcower. When Silverchair was there, you would routinely see Silverchair migrating to Rapture after work or to Three Notch. It's no secret. I'm not breaking any news here. One of the C-suite guys for Silverchair is one of the co-owners at Three Notch. So you see a lot of Silverchairians enjoying beverages at Three Notch. Prior to that, they were at Rapture. There was a reason why Rapture and Mike and Cecilia, the owners at Rapture, always kept a three-notch beer on tap. Okay, there was a reason for that. It was strategic because they wanted to be the after-hours hangout for Silverchair. And to your point, if you wanted to climb the vertical ladder at Silverchair, it was as much about performance in the business as it was about the proverbial shaking hands and kissing babies and tipping a few back with your direct boss after hours at work. Those that did it rose vertically. Those that did not were passed. Making connections. Common for any place. To your credit, you're saying maybe they didn't want to do it. To your point, you're saying these folks never wanted to commute in the first place. To your point, it's not just hybrid that's causing the demise of businesses around office epicenters. I want to localize it to Charlottesville because it's the I Love Seville show. There is not a more densely populated working environment than I would say the downtown Charlottesville area. We're becoming, I think we're becoming what most big cities eventually morph into, uh, which is a place that too, that's too expensive to live that just becomes a business center. I mean, that's kind of like Manhattan. And the thing is, the thing is, throughout... Oh, take throughout, a deep dive on that. It, go, it, go deep down there. Because well, I want to go down that exact road. That's good. Throughout the last century, you didn't have a choice. If you wanted to work somewhere, you had to go and work there. We're in a, we're in a new position where we do have things like Skype and Zoom, and we can work from our computers at home, and some some bosses are realizing that there's no reason not to we're saving you know we're saving our we're saving our workers time and money in in transportation and eating out or brown bagging a lunch but uh, and so we're finding that we can that we can expand out into the suburbs, that business doesn't have to be centered in Manhattan or in wherever. And yes, that's a terrible, terrible blow to all of the businesses that grew up around the need to have people congregate in one area to do their business. But 
This is where I want to go. But this is where I want to go. We, we have it always adapted, and the businesses will find other ways. It may be that they have to close their, you know, close their corner spot in Manhattan, but they may find, like I said, that it may it may turn out that uh, like I would love to have a small a small clutch of shops around the entrance to where I live. Well, I mean, um, you're pretty darn close to that. You live. Oh, I don't live four far. minutes from the downtown mall. You have that. Yeah, but I could. The person who does not, not have that is me. In. But that's choice. Living in Keswick, we chose to do that. We chose. We chose the serenity now, and we chose to live amongst essentially yeah. farms and estates. But one of the things I loved about Savannah is that there was there was a tiny little gas station with a tiny little supermarket, kind of like the one next door where you could get not everything that you wanted, but if you need some basics, you can go there, you can get fruits and vegetables, you can get milk, you can get uh, soda. I want to localize this to Charlottesville. Yeah, okay. and that's what I'm trying to do. Okay. I, I was just reading something recently about the problem with uh, uh, people having an issue with getting around Charlottesville, and a lot of them are afraid to walk, and a lot of them are afraid to bike, and what if places like Reed's and Market Street Market had more, had more outlets to, I, more, I, okay. to more neighborhoods? I'm going to jump in on that. The last thing this area needs is more grocery stores. We're, we're, if, mm-hmm. if, if anyone watching this program, we're over-grocerying. I'm not talking about the big guys. We're, 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 we have too many Kroger's, too many Giants, too many Teeters, you know, Aldi, Little, Lido, whatever the hell it's called. Food lines, we have too many grocery stores. Okay, but ask yourself, how many, how many people can get to those? I understand the concept of food deserts. And we have a food desert. Take the folks that live in the Fifeville area that may not have transportation. What's the closest grocery store that they have if they're living in the Cherry Avenue quarter? Probably Reeds on Preston or the Market Street Market right next to this studio, depending on what area of Cherry Avenue they live on. If they're living on the Tonsler Park of Cherry Avenue, probably the Market Street Market next to us is closest. If they're living toward the UVA Hospital side I mean, of Cherry, I, I wouldn't even I wouldn't even put that in the neighborhood of close. You can you can get there and by foot from Tonsler Park to Market Street Market, ten minutes. You don't think that's close? Tonsler Park to the Market Street Market. You don't think you can make that in ten minutes? Maybe. I mean, it's under fifteen, and that's by walking. You could, I would make a legitimate argument that you could walk from Tonsler Park to Market Street Market next to the studio right here faster than public transportation could get you. That's more of a damning statement on public transportation than it is how quick you can walk there. I want to really do a good job of trying to localize this to Charlottesville because I think we're, we're making too much macro here. Okay, It's the I Love Seville show. Here's the concept of what I want to cover. If we continue to go hybrid or this work remote mindset, which we all know with technology becoming more ubiquitous and robust, approachable and efficient, that the work from home mindset is going to get momentum behind it. It's not going to go away. Mm -hmm. Right now, the employees do not have the leverage. So you're seeing a lot of them go back to work because a lot of companies are laying people off. And there's a lot of macro headwinds. I so think it, that has I'm not, less to up, do with... Employees have... The employer has the leverage now. Last year, the employer did not have the leverage. Now the employer does. Layoffs are happening everywhere. I don't think there's a 
direct connection there, though. I think you're... You don't think there's a direct connection between layoffs, not enough jobs, and employers having the leverage? But I don't really think there's a problem with not enough jobs. Yes. Just because a bunch of tech companies are, have, have, over, have overhired and are now laying off people doesn't mean that there's a lack of jobs in the market. I, I will agree to disagree on that one. I think that, that is absolutely incorrect right there. I think that is absolutely incorrect. I think if you're working in the tech field and you can't get a job, there's a problem for not having enough jobs. It's easy to say that there are a lot of jobs out there when you're employed. When you can't find a job, that's when you gotta have some empathy for folks. You have a job. It's easy to say that, okay? I'm so I, I wanna throw this. We gotta localize this to Charlottesville. We're talking way too broad. It's the I Love Seville show. Downtown Charlottesville. If the momentum continues to this hybrid work from home remote, which we know it will, you've already touched on this already, what is the impact it will have on an area like this? The folks that are open, how many businesses can we think of that are only open for the daytime workers? Bagby's is not open for dinner. Right. Blue Ridge Country Store is not open for dinner. Mm -hmm. Not open for dinner. That's just off the top of my head. Those two right there. They're not even open when I get off work, I don't think. Blue Ridge Country Store is not open on the weekend. Yeah. Bagby's closes at 3. Closes at 3 o'clock. Explain to me how a Bagby's or a Blue Ridge Country Store survives with less workers in these towers around Bagby's and Blue Ridge Country Store. The whole point of them operating and why they're in existence is to cherry pick the foot traffic and all these towers that are around them. It's literally, those businesses would not be able to survive in their current iteration. Yeah. Now, I will give you this. The points you made yesterday are really good. I don't think it's just the work from home that is impacting this. I think it's also obscene amounts of credit card debt, highest in American history. I think it's the fact that, look at inflation came in hot yet again today. I'm yet again, it's coming hot. Mm -hmm. I'm looking at my portfolio, and I, I go up in the, more, the beginning of the day up 1.75% to right, be, right, uh, below this, right when this show started in the red. Now I'm up 1.13% for the day. I mean, it's a roller coaster ride. Okay? I also think there's still a fair amount of people trying to reinvent themselves post-pandemic because they wanted to do something completely different. That was a phenomenon. The great resignation, although recent surveys have indicated that folks, what was the stat, 80% of the people during the great resignation regret resigning, that quitting the job they did? That was a study we talked about last week. That's what they're saying. The quintessential grass is not always greener, right? So I want to get to this topic. How will it impact Charlottesville? How will it impact Charlottesville? I think it has been, and I think that uh, a lot of companies are going to have to pivot. I mean, you talk a lot about uh, experiential, uh, experiential uh, marketing. Omni, no, omni-experiential retail. Yeah. Omni-experiential retail is what Animal Connection does at Ix Park, or what the Happy Cook does, what the Spice Diva used to do. Yeah. They created <clears throat> pay-for-play classes. Or Animal Connection, grooming self-serve dog wash. You can't buy grooming and self-serve dog washes online. 
you cannot do um, a cooking class. Well, you probably could do it online. In fact, there's probably video tutorials of how you can do it online, but it's going to be much better in person. And then you're able to buy the kitchen equipment that you utilize in your cooking class. It's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. Omni experiential retail. Is that what the mall is going to evolve into? Businesses that are selling experiences. Like, look, it's no secret. Look at the ones that are coming here. An escape room is opening up on the pavilion side of the mall. Escape room. That's an experience. Decades Arcade is opening up on the downtown mall. Decades Arcade is an experience. Sure, you can play video games at home, but it's not the same as playing Miss Pac-Man on a box with a joystick in an arcade. You agree with that? Yeah. Music venues. Yes, you can listen to the music at home, but you're not going to have the same energy of listening to it in person. Right. Is the future of downtown strictly businesses of experience as workers in the towers that surround the downtown mall are less likely to be in there with technology vastly improving? That's a question. Yeah. That's a cocktail I, conversation I think, starter for I you. think what I was getting at is that the, the, uh, the businesses on the downtown mall need to find a way to draw people. If the city's not doing it with things like uh, First Night Virginia... Uh, I'm I'm glad, and I hope it works. I hope it works out in favor of the uh, the businesses on the mall. This uh, this flower planter uh, contest that they're going to have. I I hope that uh, helps draw people to the downtown mall. But we need experiential omni experiential retail. Omni experiential uh, businesses. It doesn't why don't we need, just call it that. Yeah, it doesn't need to be retail. But we need businesses that draw people to the downtown mall. And having a place open for lunch, while it's nice if you're there, if you're on the downtown mall, if you're near the business and you happen to need to stop for lunch, that's great. But I just don't see people, I don't see the downtown mall being a draw as much as it used to be for people looking for a place to eat. There we go. You can and go how somewhere. Much, how lack of a draw is it going to be? When the towers housing the workers are half full or not capacity and people are not working nine to fives or nine to sixes every day. The downtown mall not only has a branding issue from a safety standpoint, the downtown mall not only has a branding issue, some people would say from a parking standpoint, I think the parking thing is bogus. As Bob Yarbrough has said, the king of Redfields many times, I never have a problem parking anywhere in Charlottesville. Right. Still, it's, some people have the perception that parking downtown is difficult. It has that problem, has to overcome. Well, I think there are times when I don't mind, like parking somewhere and walking a block or two to get to the downtown mall, and then walking a block or two. Uh, you know, sometimes I just I'm here for the downtown mall, and that's fine. But there are other times uh, when I'm out with my parents, they don't want to they don't want to walk to the downtown mall and then walk to wherever we're eating. They'd rather go somewhere where you can park in a parking lot right next to the... Uh, like Red, Red Hub Food, or Red... Uh, what, what the hell's the name of the place? Red, Red Crab, Crab Seafood. Evidently, you guys like to park there. Watch out for gunfire on Sunday night at 11.30 p.m. Yeah. Why the hell there's gunfire at Sunday night outside of a seafood place uh, on Route 29 in Almaro County scares the bejeebus out of me. It's closed. The scuttlebutt says, after hours... Drugs. Red... We're not, trying to, we're not trying to knock anyone's name here, but the scuttlebutt after hours has red crab seafood turning into a, a gentleman's parlor 
with ladies that perhaps are not fully clothed. At least one night a week. At least one night a week. But this is Charlottesville, so they do have to be, they do have to... Uh, You're choosing your words very carefully, I hope, right now. Yeah. I was going to say they do have to have the... Uh, the star know, stickers? The, the important bits covered. The star stickers. We'll leave them as star stickers. Let's call them star stickers. Okay. The star stickers <laughs> have to be on. The scuttlebutt has that happening after hours. Perhaps that's what led to this gunshot, this victim. There's uh, also McDonald's 20, you know, a, a stone's throw away. What does the McDonald's have to do with it? It's open late. Oh. I, I, I think where there's smoke, there's fire. And what we're hearing that is happening after hours at this restaurant is likely what generated the violence. But we'll leave that to the police authorities to figure out. Bill McChesney, exactly right. If you're on the I Love Sebo, if you're watching on Facebook, go to the I Love Sebo group and look at the comment Bill McChesney left in the I Love Sebo group. Anonymous says this, I did an analysis of walkability distance to grocery stores last year using Google walk time. The median walk time to a grocery store for Charlottesville is 16 minutes. The problem is walking infrastructure here is horrible, unsafe, bad sidewalks. So this guy did a walkability study, Deep Throat, the I Love Seville versions of, of Deep Throat. And he says the average walk time to a grocery store in the city of Charlottesville is 16 minutes. And I'm looking at an article right here. By, 16 minutes is doable. I'm looking at an article here by uh, Aaron O'Hare that uh, says the title is Survey Shows the Majority of Charlottesville Residents Want to Walk, Bike, or Take Public Transit but don't feel safe doing so. I think that's true. And it points out some of the issues with, uh, you know, uh, walkability. Uh, yeah. the, pr- the problems with, the problems with uh, areas in Charlottesville where the sidewalk just ends and Take doesn't High Street. start up again. The most dangerous quarter in all of Charlottesville might be High Street, where Bruce yeah. on High just closed. Yeah. and The sidewalk literally is on one side of the road and then stops and goes completely to the other side of the road. And the sidewalk, like many of them in Charlottesville, are cracked in need of significant repair. Tree and root damage has caused the sidewalks to not be flat or even. My dad and I, my dad's 73, is struggling physically, mm-hmm. needs a knee replacement, diabetic, early onset Parkinson's, shuffles his feet instead of lifting his feet to walk. Does the feet shuffle? Maybe yeah. it's because he doesn't have the strength to do it. We were walking downtown to the corner because he liked to reminisce about UVA, almost tripped three times. One time, literally on top of my mom, she saved him from falling. Yeah, and that's, and that's what I'm glad you pointed out, because, yes, you can walk to a grocery store in 15, 16 minutes, but what about, not everybody is going to have as easy a time of that. Then you have issues of, you know, like... Uh, these uh, scooters, you might have two or three of yeah. them knocked over across the middle of the, the sidewalk. And additionally, what is, what is someone like that going to buy at the grocery store? They're I mean, not, you're you're, you're going to probably get two to three bags that you can carry in your hands, and you're probably going to have to go to the grocery store a lot more often as opposed to doing one shop for the entire week or for a two-week period of time. And the really sad thing is there's a quote in this article that says, I haven't bought liquids in years. I miss orange juice. Because it's so heavy to carry. Yeah. You can't carry. If you're, if you're walking to the but grocery the store, you're not buying a, a mom liquids. And pop, one unit, a mom and pop one unit grocery owner is just not going to make it. A lot of people don't realize the Market Street Market next door, Raphael that owns this, also owns a grocery store in Richmond 
and he owns the Crozet Great Value. He's got three units. Because of that three units, he's got some purchasing power. A one-unit mom and pop, there's a reason one-unit mom and but, pops don't exist. But maybe someone like this, when, when people stop coming to the downtown mall, maybe he expands his business into little... This guy's not looking to expand his business. Okay. It's a, it's a Do you hypo- understand how slim the it's margins are for groceries? The grocery business is the margins are even slimmer than restaurants. Jerry, you're not usually the person who's trying to come up with reasons why things won't work. I, 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 you're right. I'm the one who comes up for reasons that do work because that's my role at this business and so is I'm to figure s- out solutions. I'm, I'm not, just offering you straight up clarity and I'm because not, I'm the businessman okay. of the two of us here. You're the creative. I'm the business guy. Okay. The margins of groceries are like single digit. Per, they're worse than restaurants. Okay. Literally. The margins for grocery stores are worse than rest. You can look it up. No, I, I, I know the care. business well. I know the business well. The likelihood of just opening up small groceries like this is they won't survive. I, I would love to see. Dude, I live in Keswick. It, for me to go from my house in Glenmore to the giant in back. Yesterday, I forgot to, buy, I forgot to get something my wife asked me to get. So I went home, had to go to the Giant, and came back. That round trip was probably 45 minutes. There's no one, I won't say no one. I understand the concept of a food desert. Granted, we chose a food desert as opposed to being stuck in a food desert. It's very Mm -hmm. different. We chose it. The one unit operator can't make it. I love your idea. I'm not knocking it. So you're basically saying that there is, there's no answer. We're basically going to, we're going to destroy downtown areas by not, by not That's my using them. And nothing is going to, no one is going to pivot. I mean, can it be, how many more music venues can it be? How many more music venues can it be? When is the technology going to be so great, just like sports, where people would rather just watch the game on their couch, on their 80-inch flat-screen TV, in the comfort of their home, as opposed to going to the game in person? Because that's happening right now. When's that going to happen to music? Pretty damn soon, I bet, right? Sure. I mean, what's going to be left? What are we going to have here? I think the pivot is the omni-experiential, where you're going downtown for escape room you went downtown for an arcade now what counters that argument of mine is the ice park ice park failed granted its proprietor mark brown failed it but the ice park failed there's a reason the ice park shut down we all miss the ice park everyone says oh i missed the skating rink i missed the ice park it's now an office building well you didn't miss it enough to keep it alive when it was there by patronizing it yeah. I miss the ice park. Downtown's only family attraction. No one came. That's why it shut down. No one came. It was empty most of the time. I, I, I would try to take macro topics and localize them. 
this macro phenomenon of office complexes being completely empty or partially empty or hybrid work keeping people from being in office complexes and the businesses that chose class A rental space around those buildings suffering as a result, that's going to happen here if not already is happening. I mean, does Bagby's change their hours? To what? Like you said, nighttime? I mean, how many people are looking to get sandwiches? Great call. Probably not many. I mean, what would you do? You, you know the guy. His son works next to him. We'll leave uh, Alex in. I'm not going to be able to get to some of these other topics here on the show because I want to get to an interview with um, Alex uh, here on the show. Come on in anytime you're ready. Uh, we'll save some of these other topics for tomorrow. Um, the shooting at Red Crab Seafood, Bruce on High Close, Spice Diva Closing, inflation coming in hotter than expected. We can certainly talk about that with Alex Erpe here, yep. um, the CEO of um, Emergent Financial Services. What do you make of this office topic? Yeah, I, I think... It, it is going to be a challenge because there are a lot of businesses you can think of that if you're not, particularly as we've talked about, right, you're not getting a lot of foot traffic by people deliberately choosing to come downtown right now, right? You're not, you're not getting a lot of the families saying, I'm going to deliberately choose to go downtown and patronize. So what you're left with is people who are already downtown, which is usually daytime office workers. So if those go, aren't there anymore, you have a stable source of income that is just gone. But, and I'm, I'm not exactly seeing what, what replaces that short of basically people choosing to come downtown again, which I think, to your point, Jerry, experiences is going to have to be part of why they would choose to do so, and they're also going to have to feel more comfortable doing so. Right, right. And look, look at this comment here. This is from, and this comment's on multiple Facebook pages, a variation of this. Okay, this is from Grayson. Yes, a corner store is great, but anyone thinks that they could do their full grocery shop at a corner store is crazy. You would be spending four to five times the price of a Food Lion or a Teeter or a Kroger if you did your entire grocery shop at a corner store, and that would keep further keep folks that don't have any money down. This is from Deep Throat, who literally owns a brownstone in Brooklyn. It has a brownstone in Brooklyn. Anyone who has lived in New York City can tell you how the corner grocery model works. They cannot compete on price with the large grocery stores. No. They are bodegas. The model is massively premium prices for crummy merchandise. That's the bodega model. That's, that's the point I'm making. No one in their right mind in a time when people are pinching pennies and, and have the highest credit card debt in American history would open a bodega. Like, the consumer is not going to the consumer is more price conscious now than ever. Yeah, the, the issue is, as much as we like to localize things here, this is basically, what we're talking about here is basically the current model of the United States. We have, the moment we went suburb and we went large grocery chains to save money because of economies of scale, this is what happens, right? You don't, they're just, you, there aren't Walmarts and Kroger's that appear in the middle of suburban neighborhoods or inner city neighborhoods, nor would some of the people living in those areas really want them. I and mean, would you want your neighbors, and then suddenly your house is now across the street from a Kroger? People living there might not want that either. So the issue is, as much as it's a local phenomenon, it's also the nature of how we live in the United States. We, we don't resemble 
Europe anymore, where you walk to buy your food. We, we are a suburban nation where people drive, or I, I, you either drive if you have a car, or you take, have to take transportation and walk long distances to get to grocery stores, because there are no small grocery stores that can compete with large economy scale ones. And the crappy part about this, would you to jump in anytime you want. The crappy part about that is the folks that are impacted by this driving economy we've created are the financial margin. Well, people but, who don't have cars. Yeah. Well, that, that's been that, the case for the last 50 plus years. Uh, no since doubt. We, since we suburbanized. Certainly worse now with cost of goods. Out of, I mean, we're going to talk CPI here in a matter yeah. of moments. Still coming in hot. Hotter than expected. What the heck? What the HE double hockey sticks? We got to talk about that now. I thought that was behind us. I thought maybe you did as well. He didn't. Okay. <laughs> so now we got more volatility in, on Wall Street. We had a, a client in here. We cannot use this person's name or identify their sex, okay? But you were in the conversation right before the show started and how this particular client was very lukewarm on their business, their business performance. And this is a client that we've worked alongside for almost a decade. Mm-hmm. And they're saying people are coming here and they're taking pictures of what I got and then going oh, and buying hair. it online. Yeah. After they get all the knowledge from me and yeah. then leaving and buying it online. You heard that, right? Yeah. Which is a shame. Yeah, but. definitely. Um, how about this one from Spencer watching the program? I would love if I had a corner store next to my house. We live in the country, but there's no way we would pay four times the price on groceries as opposed to driving the 15 minutes to the Food Lion um, on Avon Street. We live in the Scottsville area to buy those same groceries. That's the problem. That's another problem I had with this business incubator that uh, New Hill Development Corporation was starting. <clears throat> Why would they launch an incubator to put people in restaurants? Well, I Why, think would, they, why would anyone open a you, bodega now? You've you got to keep in mind that's often a way for, for people who are just getting started to kind of get into owning their own business and so forth. You can... You can, it's a way for you to get into the, the business realm and work for yourself. It's tough times, and they've been through tough times before, but... Launching a restaurant in this environment, in this economic climate, in this saturated marketplace... Oh, it's going to be... There's going to be like some tough nightmare. times. There's going to be tough times ahead. Nightmare. But I'd rather they did it with some help than that they try to do it all by themselves and fail completely. I mean, I suppose I would rather the council be offering them perspective instead of utilizing your most precious time, your most precious commodity, your time to launch a restaurant. Why don't you consider this idea instead? That's what I think the council should be. Consider this instead. How about an incubator for business ideas as opposed to an incubator for restaurants? Well, I think and there are still ways you can do that. I mean, when you, if you were to tape some of the, um, uh, the city had the Go startup program, I would sit in on some of those. And CIC has the 16-week workshop. Many people who go through those classes come out with a totally different idea. So you go in with one idea and you realize this is just not a viable business. I think the, the kitchen incubator there is more of people who have determined that that is the right course of action for them, either as a food truck or a startup there. But there are other methods if you have if your total idea phase to be able to realize 
that this does not, this, you know, this is not a viable business for me. Um, Travis Hackworth in Danville. Alex, tagging you. My family started a grocery store in 1942 and it grew to six stores. I also worked at a local grocery for 12 years. The issue for local grocers is that the wholesale suppliers require a certain volume yep. of products per order to even yep. deliver to you. Unless you were around before 1970, you're not grandfathered in, so you don't meet the requirements or the minimum orders. Literally my yeah, point. Exactly. Like, that's why I, I know the guy that owns so, the one next door. If he didn't have the economies of scale of the Crozet Great Value and the Richmond grocery he was in, this little market next door would be in the crapper. I, 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 he's told yeah. me this. No, we, we don't live in a world in which the, the, the small grocery shop can, can actually compete. No. And, and, and as he points out, we don't, in some places, we don't even live in a world in which they can exist. In other words, you can't buy the goods at any price. The, gro- the margin on groceries is like 3.5-4%. Literally, 3.5-4%. Worse than restaurants. Literally. Jump in here. Any, you have something on your brain over there. I, I mean, I'm just... Uh... I feel like there. I feel like there are answers to all these problems. Uh, why not create a food hub? Why not create, create kind a of like a food hub or like a they have uh, a food hub or or like a food uh, cooperative where they have that. There's that. What I think, <coughs> I think Brewer area food bank. I think what? an answer that's always missed to what? right. If people can't afford automobiles and they can't afford gas to get places. The part of the issue is we do need some more. We need some more growth. We need their incomes to, to be doing better. So, I mean, that's also a function. There's two sides of the equation, right? If you can't afford to do something, the it's either what one side is. How do we make that something cheaper? The other side is how do we de- de- make sure you have more income? So maybe we're looking at this as the, uh, the wrong way. Maybe this is the way we need to look at it. Improve public transportation. Make it ro- more robust and consistent and reliable, and then folks can not worry about walking an extra 15 minutes or whatever it is to the food line or the teeter. Maybe it's because the transportation is so piss poor that folk, I mean, can you imagine the predicament of being in Cherry Avenue, Fifeville? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I think that's the biggest food desert in the city of Charlottesville. Can anyone think of a further spot in the city like of in city limits? City limits, where you're further away from a grocery store by foot. I mean, maybe if you go out towards the, the edge of Park Street, right where it switches to county lines. Park Street, that's where he lives. Like right before the county line. He goes Park Ryle, that's where you live. What is the cro- closest uh, grocery to you? I mean, there's nothing real. I mean, there's nothing far either. What's the closest can, one to you? I can drive to anywhere within like five or yeah, ten minutes. Yeah, you're close to everything. You have a phenomenal yeah. spot. What's the closest by foot to you? But if I had to walk, I, I don't think I would. What is the closest one to you? I, I don't know. I've never... I've never well, brainstorm. Brainstorm? I mean, I, you want me to graph it out on a map? You yeah, maybe, understand maybe basic the, geography. Maybe the Aldi right? near Rio? Yeah, basic geography. What is the closest grocery store to your house? Yeah, this this probably is the Aldi. Okay, the Aldi. I, I, don't, the Aldi. I don't have distances. Yeah, so that's yeah. the closest one, the Aldi. Most right? likely. So what are you talking about? Less than a 10-minute walk from I've, your house to Aldi? I've never walked Ooh, it. I'm I sure it would take a lot. 15 minutes? They do, uh, yeah, a little more. It would more take hard. a lot more than 10 minutes. Yeah, 15? I'd say closer to 20. Okay, 15-minute walk? At least. I mean, I can put it in on Google Maps if you want me to. I mean, you, you can do the same. I mean, you, where you live is in the, literally in the center of town, isn't it? 
Would you say that's as, as close to centers? Here's my point. The, the, the biggest food hub that you could possibly find, the biggest grocery um, desert that you could possibly find is Fifeville, Cherry Avenue, yeah. and City Limits. Okay? Where if you, you, you don't have a car, you're living paycheck to paycheck, you're struggling financially, how are you going to get to a grocery store? There's a reason, there's a reason that... Um, like Food Master on Avon Extended, that convenience store. Mm-hmm. You know these convenience stores that sell like um, unhealthy stuff essentially? Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Those convenience stores where it's like they position these convenience stores that are selling. I'm not talking about like Bel Air or the Exxon. I'm talking about yeah, the, the ones, ones. Yeah, you're selling Twinkies. Yeah, those. yeah that kind of moonlights is a bodega. That just happens to maybe have a couple tanks of gas. There's yeah. a reason they strategically position themselves in poorer neighborhoods. Yeah. Because they know they can't. The folks that live in poorer neighborhoods have no means of transportation. To get there, yeah. To get but again, there. that's why there's, there's two sides to it. Is there's the, the, yes, you can improve public transportation. But the other side is how do you get them to not be so poor that they have no means of transportation. It looks I, like I'm, I'm sure a lot of them would say, would you, would you rather we make you more money such that you can afford a car, or would you rather we add a bus line so that you can take the bus? A lot, most of them would probably say, yeah, make, increase my income so I can yeah, afford a car. because they want the personal convenience. Because you have the personal convenience. They can yeah. go wherever they want. So, I mean, there are that, – that's, a, I think, part of the greater issue of poverty rather than just necessarily the issue like, – in other words, the poverty issue is what – then brings in the issue of transportation. Exactly, exactly. Vanessa Parkhill says in Earliesville, I know someone who had a smaller market who bought a lot of their goods at Sam's Club and then marked them up for resale in their own smaller store in town. (laughs) That shows you how difficult that business is. Anonymous says, I have the data you guys are looking for. Northern Locust Grove, the middle of the Greenbrier neighborhood, has the longest distance on his analysis from a walking standpoint to a grocery store. And That's Lloyd Snoke's neighborhood. And they're pretty close to me. I'm looking at, uh, I looked at the three main, well, from where I live, it's about, it says, it says 52 minutes walking to Aldi, 48 minutes walking to the, uh, the food line at the bottom of Pantops, and an hour and seven minutes if I wanted to go to the Kroger on... Uh, at barracks, yeah. In other words, impossible. How far was that walk, Deep Throat, from Northern Locust Grove, the middle of the Greenbrier neighborhood, to the closest grocery store? Do you have a timestamp, Deep Throat, on how far that is, Matt? Daring, got that right, Matt. Matt Daring, Matt, you're contributing to this program a lot. You're going to soon get a nickname, my friend, through for your positive contributions. I will come up with a creative nickname for you, Matt Daring. It might be the King of Mountain Biking. Because <laughs> um, he loves to mountain bike with his son. He says, what Alex is saying is the exact reason why Buckingham County is not in a solution to the affordable housing crisis in Charlottesville. We talk about this all the time. Buckingham County may have homes in the 200,000s, but you're matter. driving 50 yeah. minutes to the epicenter of employment. 50 minutes one way to the epicenter yes. of employment. There's not a magic solution where, like, okay, yeah, just move this far away. I mean, how, how is someone going to climb the professional totem pole when they're spending almost two hours round trip every day in their car Yeah, to go to work? I want you to think about that. How is that going to work? It's, no, it can't I mean, work. No, I mean, 
it's not that it can't. I mean, people who live in New York City will, and the surrounding areas will tell you they made you work every day. My dad took two hours. My dad lived in Brooklyn, and it took him two hours to get into Manhattan. So, I mean, it, people make it work, but it's not the ideal solution. In other words, it's not the magic bullet that will end, you know, the issues that we're having with affordable housing. I just move further out. Because then you, there are other costs that then begin to add up. Yes, you, you move further out, you can afford it, but your home value doesn't increase as, as rapidly, right? And now you need to take into account gas, the cost of driving in and out of the city. Right. That, that, that adds to your monthly budget. Yeah, it may, it may come out of the one-time, your one-time expense of a home purchase or your ongoing mortgage payment is lower, but it's being, on the flip side, you're paying higher monthly expenses in terms of the gasoline and any additional maintenance on your car. Stephen Coppinger watching this program. Jerry, Judah, and Alex. I'm a 2006 graduate of the University of Virginia and recently found the I Love Seville show a few weeks ago. Since you guys, since I found you guys, I've been watching every day. My family and I live outside Naples, Florida, but we have ties to Charlottesville. Would love to get back to you. And the topic of groceries, I would not encourage anyone to get into this business. This was my family's business and we were put out of business by the big guys because we didn't have the economies of scale to compete on price. And in times of great hardship, all anyone cares about is what it costs. Yes. No, that they, they have found Washington, that... Washington, Naples, Florida. To be sure, yeah, this is welcome to the show. Um, we have, they, they have found that to be so economically all the time. In other words, when, yes, when times are good, people will trade cost for convenience. In other words, they may pay or an cost additional... cost for loyalty. Or loyalty, yeah. Like they may pay loyalty. $2 more to go to the local person. They may pay $2 more so that I don't have to get in the car for 20 minutes, right? But with inferior goods, and by inferior, I don't mean that they're bad quality. What inferior goods is goods that you have to... In other words, you begin to buy more of them as your income declines. So you can't afford steak, so you buy chopped meat. When it comes to those, when times are tough, the only thing that matters is price. People will substitute a lot of things to get at the lower price. I mean, Anonymous says this. Um, on the data that I have, the walk from the middle of Greenbrier, the northern Locust Grove neighborhood, to the closest grocery store is 25 minutes. That's 25 right. minutes, he says, is the furthest in the city of Charlotte. Which, which really is not a very realistic I mean, you can't bring you can't. groceries. I mean, no. you might be able to bring, like... One two, bag in each two, hand? Yeah, bag in each hand, yeah. And if it's raining or inclement weather of any kind, you would never do no. that. 50 minutes round trip to walk? No. I mean, that's a food desert, right? Judah Wickhauer, jump in here. What's on the brain? Uh, I mean, not, I'm, what's on my brain is coming up with solutions, but uh, apparently we're all about uh, how stuff won't work. So, um, yeah, I mean... Uh, you're right. Apparently, uh, it's impossible to do, and uh, I don't know what's going to happen to Charlottesville when uh, when it crumbles. Uh, solutions. How about um, food cooking classes on the downtown mall? Solutions. Stuff that is experiences. Solutions. Stuff that's not directly tied to restaurants and expects expensive shopping. Solutions. Differentiate yourself from a crowded music marketplace. Solutions. Maybe some of these buildings that are around here should be pivoted into micro-apartments that create more density. Guess what? The building we're in, the macro building, is a condo building. I own a large chunk of this. 
things go according to plan, I may be able to convert this to studio apartments. If you convert the office space that we have into studio apartments, that creates density in downtown Charlottesville. The additional density in downtown Charlottesville will drive econo the economy in downtown Charlottesville. Maybe what downtown Charlottesville needs is what Oliver Kuttner was trying to build 15, 20 years ago that Kathy, Calvin, Kathy Galvin, the former counselor of Kibosh, studio or micro apartments. Oliver Kuttner legitimately in the 323 building, the building across from Garrett Square and Friendship Court. Oh, okay. Literally that building, that fancy deluxe building. He wanted those, that building to be 250 to 300 square foot micro apartments. What, are they, what is it now? Office building. Office building. Expensive class A office building. Yeah, for, he wanted for studio, a little while longer. For a little while longer. He wanted micro apartments. There's a solution. If we want to improve zoning in the city of Charlottesville, maybe the zoning should not be focused on R1 single-family detached. 53% of it, Charlottesville City, is R1 single-family detached. Maybe it's allow office buildings to be pivoted into residential. That's a way to bring more housing into the ecosystem without screwing people's housing values or impacting their tax assessments. And again, you can't discount members... It, no one, like, as an example, right, no one would call Glenmore, where you are, Jerry, a food desert. Why? Because the expectation is everyone living there has a good income, which allows them to get a car, which means they can drive places. So at some point, too, you need to sit there and say, is the economy working for people? Like, how do we promote yeah. growth? How do we promote people that can do well and be successful in businesses? How do we promote things where people can get good-paying jobs? Because if you can't... In other words, that's what makes something a food desert. It's not necessarily a food desert because there isn't a small grocery store there, or because, because it's, like I said, in some of them you wouldn't necessarily want that, right? I mean, would we really want to turn, like, to say, take uh, Fightful neighborhood? I can't imagine people Fightful would be thrilled if, like, a Walmart no. knocked down half their homes and stuck a super center in there. They'd be saying, "Wow, this isn't really. This was a, this was my neighborhood. I didn't really want that." You know, and as we've seen, so in other words, it's a food desert because there are other underlying issues, not necessarily because there's nothing within walking. Is distance. the primary underlying desert, uh, underlying issue, the public transportation? That's the question. Um, comments coming in. It's, I'm trying to get to as many of these as humanly possible here. As many of these as humanly possible on today's show. We appreciate you guys watching and interacting with the program. Um, Meredith Young, I was shocked at the lack of walkability and bikeability in a university town of this caliber. Needs to take a page, this town needs to take a page out of Fort Collins, Colorado. Never ever drove when we lived there, even with a young child. We walked everywhere. You can't do that here. You cannot walk everywhere. Where, where are the only neighborhoods that you could potentially walk everywhere? I mean, right around here. Yeah. Belmont, North Downtown. Belmont, North and, Downtown. And the, the, the Belmont. And could you even, even do there, that? The, you can, but like you're in the street a lot. Like, right. There's not a lot of sidewalks either. Yeah. yeah. And they're not in the best of shape. Okay. I'll tell, how about this question? Viewers and listeners, if you're a mom and dad of young children, would you feel comfortable walking anywhere with your young children as your means of transportation in this town? Who would say yes? Hell no. Yeah. 
Who would say yes? And like we talked about last time, safety has a big issue with that. When people don't feel safe, they don't want to walk. Exactly, exactly. Deep Throat says this. Office conversion is a great idea. It's a big push in New York City from Eric Abbott Adams. He's doing res, um, office to residential. He says, if you need investors for the Macklin building, let me know. Well, thank you for that deep throat right there. Why not allow the zoning to change where we allow folks that own office complexes to have more flexibility with converting them into studio or micro apartments? Which I would imagine people living in R1 neighborhoods would prefer that to the rezoning of their In their own neighborhood. Yeah, because the, the, the always issue with my, which my dad, I'm sure, actually one time was my dad and even uh, Pete Smith's dad. Pop were on the same page on that. In other words, sometimes you move to a place like Charlottesville from a big city, not so that you move to an R1 neighborhood and now suddenly it's full of apartments again. You know, that's what I just left, right? So an office building is already right. a big office building. It's already a big office building. Yeah, in other words, no one is across the way from the big office building saying, oh no, this big eyesore of an office building is now a big eyesore of apartments. They don't care. What they don't want is that you know, I had my neighbor across the street and it was a little house, and now suddenly I have no sunlight because they built it's an a, apartment complex. A apartment complex. There's the Enterprise Center literally across from this. Joffrey owns this building across the, from us, 401 East Market Street. Why did that get converted to micro apartments? Why didn't it? Why can we not do that? Well, I suppose we could. What? No, we can't. Not because, right now? Because of the zoning? Yeah. Because of the zoning? Well. Maybe why by the time he's ready to do that, he can get it to rezoned. Why, why can't I take the first and second floor of the Macklin and do that? Mine has a little different flexibility because it's a condo at HOA building. That right there is straight up commercial. We got uh, 30 seconds each of us, and then I'll, and I'll close here. 30 seconds, Erp, Alex Erpy. 30 seconds, shoot a wick arrow, then I'll close her down. Show is yours, Alex Erpy. I, I want to say that the key thing you got to think about is sometimes you have to go a little deeper. You have to say, what? all right, given... Like Judah said, we know some things that won't work, but what does? Can we look at public transportation? Can we look at making the sidewalks a little nice? Can we look at safety? Can we look to make sure people feel comfortable walking from A to B? And can we look at how, you know, in other words, what needs to be done on the income side? What, what, why are the jobs that are here not sufficient to make this work? And so I think that's, those are some of the things we have to look at. There, there are solutions there, and I know there's a lot of people already working on those here. Very well said. Alex Serpa, the co-star of Today Minyana, Thursdays at 10.15 a.m. on the I Love Seville Network. Judah, anything on the uh, Medulla Oblongata over there? Yeah, I feel like somebody who is determined to make it work could find a way to, uh, to spread out a, uh, a, a market uh, footprint uh, that, would, that would help smaller communities. Fair. Yeah, that is fair. Okay. No, I, fair. I hope if you can find that person and they can overcome the 2 to 3% margins, I wish them the best of luck. It's not like I don't want that. I would love if that happened. I just don't understand the finances of it. Um, Judah Wickhauer is on point today. Alex Erpy is always on point. This is the I Love Seville show. We talk local. We take big topics and we localize them for this town. We'll see you tomorrow at 1230, guys. So long. Nicely done, boys. Excellent, excellent. Excellent. Right. I don't, do you happen to know, Mike wanted to know the, uh, any news on Stonefield?